everyone, and welcome to Jem's third podcast in our self-care series. I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. And today we are so excited to welcome Victoria Garrick, a former D1 volleyball player and USC graduate who is now an advocate for body image and overall health. Let's get started. So our first question, when were you first introduced to social media? Let's see. I think I was first really introduced to social media. I think my freshman year of high school, I definitely had Instagram in middle school. It had just started, but it was like, an extra app that no one really had. I remember the way I found out about Instagram was it was back in the day where you would go to the app store and see like what the top 10 apps were and you would just download them because everyone liked having games on their phone. And I saw Instagram and I downloaded it and I had no idea how to use it. And then sophomore year of high school, I remember getting Snapchat for the first time. So it's weird because I'm very much a part of the social media generation, but I'd say I was like a part of that first wave of people who started to really communicate through it. So around freshman, sophomore year of high school was when I really started to use it religiously, I'd say. Great, thank you. And in correlation with this, how can social media negatively affect our self-image and mental health? Well, it depends what you're viewing on social media. And if you're viewing pictures or accounts that constantly make you feel less than, like you're not good enough um, or you don't have enough, then of course it's going to negatively impact the way you think about yourself and you view your life, especially with the frequency at which we use social media. I'm sure most people listening to this podcast woke up this morning and checked their phone. It's the first thing they did before they ate breakfast, before they brushed their teeth, before they said hello to someone in their house. So it just goes to show that we are consuming content a lot. And if that first thing you see when you open your phone is a picture of someone who looks perfect or is doing something perfect or who is achieving, um, most likely it's going to make you turn and think about yourself and your life and compare. And so, you know, I think the negative effects of social media is really based on the content you consume because I do think there are benefits to social media. It just depends on what you're following. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, What is your opinion on the normalization of eating disorders throughout social media? And what are some examples of these? Well, I think there are two types of normalization when I hear that. I think there's the destigmatization, which is seeing more posts about it, seeing more people advocating for eating disorders and recovery, which is great because that's here's the word normalizing the conversation and those who are struggling so that they feel less alone eating and my eating disorder was especially something I felt the most alone with the depression and anxiety. I felt alone, of course, but then the eating issues I felt on top of it was more of a secret and more of a shameful thing. So I think it's great that we're talking about it, but then I think there is also the, the anti normalization, which is kind of the trend of, you know, the diets and the, Uh, diet culture phrases and the terminology and just kind of normalizing it in an unhealthy way that kind of glamorizes the issue um, as opposed to really giving it the representation that is healthy for those to consume. So, you know, and I think a few examples of that might be, so for the first one, 
I think an example of, you know, a healthy way to normalize an eating disorder would be, um, let's, we can take TikTok, like a TikTok video of someone saying, you know, I used to struggle with uh, binge eating and these are three ways that I helped heal my relationship with food. And then I would say, I think, you know, a negative video would probably be someone who makes a meme that's like, I don't know. I'm just making this up off the top of my head, you guys. Someone that's like, uh, when all of your friends go to the movies, but you don't want to eat because you have X, Y, Z. I think that's more like trying to be humorous, but I think it also has that negative side of like glamorizing it. Like, ha ha ha, this is me too. Send to my friend because we don't, we don't do this either. I think that is an example of like a very sly way that people think is normal, right? It's like meme culture, it's comedy, it's funny, but it's actually harmful. What is your opinion on diet culture and could you discuss bad diets? Yeah, so diet culture is basically the messages and the way our society has kind of formed to tell us how we should look, how we should eat and put and it's what puts that pressure on us to, you know, be a certain way when it comes to food and look a certain way when it comes to our body. Um, I'm not a fan of diet culture. I think you said, what's my opinion? Um, I think it's harmful. You know, 95% of diets end in failure. And I mean, that's just a ridiculous percentage. If anything else in this world ended in 95% failure, we wouldn't be buying those cars. We wouldn't be wearing those clothes. We wouldn't be living in those houses. We wouldn't be like, it's just ridiculous. Yet with the diets, everyone thinks it's their fault um, as opposed to maybe thinking, huh, maybe this way of approaching food just does not work. And it's more important to create a long, sustainable relationship with food that's going to last a long time as opposed to a quick one month, five month thing, you know, for weight loss. Yeah. So fad diets are things like the South Beach diet or I would say Whole30 is kind of a fad diet. I would say any of those things that you can name and you know what you're supposed to cut out and how much weight you're supposed to lose, I would say is one of those trendy diets that people do, um, which once again, you know, to those listening, I've done a lot of those diets. I drank the Slim Quick shakes. I did the stuff and it never worked. I never was happy with my body. And if anything, I would always end up in a worse place with my relationship with myself and food. How did viewing your body differently affect your eating habits? And what were some of your personal struggles with this? Well, when I got to USC, where I went to college, my body changed tremendously going from being a high school athlete to a D1 athlete. And I gained muscle and I gained fat and I really wasn't prepared for the changes in my body. And I was under the impression at the time that I I should be small. And so because I felt myself getting bigger, I felt myself needing bigger sized clothes that made me insecure and I really didn't like the changes in my body. So it, the way it affected my relationship with food was I felt a need to go on more diets, um, restrict my intake so that I could lose the weight I was gaining at school. Thank you. And what age did you begin to struggle with body image as you were discussed previously and throughout your social media? Uh, it's tough. It really depends. I'd say when I was 12, I was aware of what it meant to be thin. And that, that was a good thing uh, with air quotes. I say a good thing because 
things have changed. And then in high school, I would say is when I started to really go on those fad diets and, you know, really cared a lot about my appearance on social media. And then my freshman year of high school is when kind of all of that had peaked to an eating disorder and real problems with food or not real, like the other ones weren't problems, but the most severe that I experienced. How did these personal struggles inspire you to share your experiences with others? And how did you gain the confidence and courage to become a body image advocate when society can portray perfection? So it took me a while to actually open up about my struggles with food. And it actually was very accidental the way that it happened. So my sophomore year of college is when I delivered a TED talk on depression and anxiety and I started to find my voice. And that was a whole different story. Um, after going to therapy, I felt empowered um, to let other people know um, what I'd been through in hopes that it could help them. But the binge eating was something that I still felt really ashamed about. Um, you know, to give a concrete example, like I delivered a TED talk and I shared on suicidal thoughts and I did not reveal my eating disorder because that to me was like the most secretive thing I wasn't ready to share. And it's just extreme to hear that out loud because some people would think, oh, that's nothing compared to, you know, the depression or whatever it was. But to me, I was very afraid just to let people know that I went through that and I was going through that. And then um, I wrote an article called How I Learned to Love My Body as a Female Athlete. And it didn't touch on just my disordered eating specifically, but it touched on just, you know, being muscular and embracing my body. And after I wrote that article, I got um, an opportunity to do an interview with a magazine, a video interview. And I'd never done anything like this before. It was glitzy and glamorous. There were these cameras and these lights and they brought me to the studio. And it was just a girl interviewing me for an hour. And then they took that hour and made it into like a eight minute video. And I just got really comfortable with her. And I just Set, I, I think I opened up about the binging and I said a few things that um, I was comfortable with at the time. And then the video ended up being pieced together to be something I was really not comfortable with. Um, it was all the, the segments I'd mentioned, the binging. They added some B-roll of like a hand reaching for French fries. I just felt like it was not, um, it was not something I was ready for. And I don't think it was you know, the best portrayal. And, you know, I learned a lesson that day, which was number one, you know, always ask to see the final cut of something if you're going to be in it. Um, but number two, you know, I realized that this was now out for the world to see and there's nothing I could do about it. And all I did was like, I was like, fine, I'm not going to share it on my Instagram. I'm not going to share it. Maybe no one will ever see it. And it will just be strangers on the internet who see this video. Well, strangers on the internet did see the video and hundreds of them messaged me saying, I also struggle with binge eating. I related so much to this video, this video made me cry. Like, and I started to receive all these messages about this video. And it was kind of like, I wasn't ready to share yet, but I had been pushed to do it anyways. And then because I saw the other side of that, of how many people also struggled, I didn't feel as alone. And that gave me the confidence to be comfortable slowly starting to share about my eating disorder. So it's crazy how that happened, but you know, everything happens for a reason. Thank you so much for sharing that story. And next, who is your support system during this rough patch in your life? My support system for the most part was my mom, my best friend. Um, and then I was 
fortunate enough to have a therapist because USC provided us with those mental health resources, which I want to acknowledge not everyone can receive. Um, it's privileged to be able to have access to therapy and that mental health care. So, you know, I don't know where I would be if I didn't have that opportunity. But my mom and my best friend were also hugely impactful to me because I lived with my best friend and we went through a lot of things at the same time. So we had each other to lean on. And then my mom, I'm very lucky that we're super close and she was someone who I could lean on during the process. How were you able to overcome this rough patch of depression, anxiety, and some eating struggles? It was obviously a long road and there were many ups and downs with dealing with all these mental health issues. I would say my senior year, I still struggled with anxiety. You know, I wasn't depressed and I had a really good relationship with food at that point, but I was super anxious as still. Um, and even now, just being graduated, it was my first year out in the real world. And I definitely had to once again work on my relationship with food. I, I stopped being a college athlete. There's a huge change to your cycle. It wasn't, I didn't have a lot of problems, but I definitely had to be mindful of how I was going to make this adjustment because my routine was so wildly different. And then, you know, I think the biggest takeaway and thing I want to share is, you know, there's no point in your life where you just check a box and you're like, done, depression, done, anxiety, done, food issues, done. That is not realistic. You might get to a place where you are very much in control and you have the tools necessary to call on in moments of that are tough for you. But, you know, I still have bad days. I still deal with these things. Um, I still have a toxic thought come into my head, but it's about how you handle those moments. And so I think being realistic about that has allowed me to have a healthy expectation on my mental health. Thank you so much. And what were the signs of this anxiety and depression that you experienced that may be helpful to share for our listeners to recognize? I think with, you know, of course there are those classic symptoms um, of depression and anxiety. I think for me, I just did not feel like myself anymore. It was like, I did not want to wake up and go about my day. I did not want to laugh at the jokes. I didn't want to put on a smile. I just really was not myself. And I could feel that I was different. And I also think I knew there was stuff I didn't want to tell people. I didn't want people to know how anxious I was about the volleyball games. I didn't want people to know what I was thinking in my head. I didn't want people to know that I was binging at night. So something I like to share as well is, if there's something going on in your life that you don't want to tell someone, there's a chance that's the thing you need to share. Yeah, I think that's a super meaningful statement. Who do you recommend that others should reach out to if they are embarrassed about their own mental health or eating disorders? Reaching out to anyone in your life is a great thing to do. Obviously, if you can reach out to a counselor or a mental health professional, that's ideal. But if you can't do that, or even if you can, and you feel more comfortable reaching out to a loved one, someone in your life, um, like a parent or a sibling or a best friend who you know, you know you're safe with, or maybe it's a teacher at Sage Hill who you're really close with and you know that you can talk to them. Someone, just please reach out to someone in your life and let them know what's going on because the best thing I ever did with 
every single one of my mental health issues was seek the help of someone else. That's great advice. And then next, what is your definition of intuitive eating and how do you keep a balanced and healthy diet? So intuitive eating is a self-care approach to food that incorporates emotion, rational thought, and satisfaction into the eating process. So an example would be if I get hungry, I'm thinking about, okay, how hungry am I? How much food do I think I want to eat right now? What food is going to satisfy me? Is it cold? Is it warm? Do I want protein? Do I want something sugary? Do I need a carb? And then, um, well, which of the options that I have here is going to taste the best to me? It's a very mindful approach. I mean, that's why it's called intuitive eating. Um, And basically, it's just ignoring these rules we've learned from diet culture, right? Eat at this time, eat at that time, don't eat this, and only eat that. And instead, just saying, okay, what do I want to eat? What's going to satisfy me and make me feel good? What's going to put my body in a place where I can do what I need to do, right? If you're an athlete as well, you might have that approach. So that is, you know, my rough explanation of intuitive eating. But there is an incredible book called The Intuitive Eating Workbook for Teens. It's by Elise Resch. And I really recommend, um, you know, especially in high school. I know it says for teens. And when we hear that, we're like, I'm an adult. And trust me, I feel the same way. I got the book because I wanted to explore it for times like this. It's an awesome book and you can write in it and it's really got a a guiding approach. So I recommend anyone who's starting intuitive eating to check out the intuitive eating workbook for teens. Thank you for that recommendation. Do you have any tips to practice body positivity when people find themselves judging the way they look in front of a mirror? Yeah. So my answer to this would be, let's not look in the mirror because that's where the negativity is coming from. And that was one of the big things that I made a change um, when it came to that. You know, when it was in the locker room, I decided I'm no longer gonna put on my volleyball uniform and look in the locker room for five minutes and then go upstairs. I'm gonna put on my uniform, I'm gonna look at the floor and walk out the door because I'm not gonna put the uh, priority on my appearance. Same with my room. Um, You know, I'm not gonna look in the full body mirror every morning when I wake up. I barely, I have a mirror, I barely look in it. And you know, at the time when I was really working on healing, um, I, I didn't have one in my room. So I think it's just, you know, here's an important, put a pin in this, an important thing to share is, you know, there's body positivity and there's body neutrality. Body positivity means you're going to be positive and you're going to have those plus emotions about your appearance. So maybe that's affirmations. I look amazing. My legs are fabulous. My body is banging and I am a confident queen, right? And that works for some people, that positivity. Some people find that they can't say those things because they don't believe them. They don't feel like their legs are banging. They don't feel like they look beautiful. So it's uncomfortable and it feels even more like a failure to try to say those things. So there's another approach called body neutrality, and this is one that I align more with, and it's essentially appreciating your body for what it does for you. So what it does, not how it looks. So I'm so grateful that I woke up this morning and that I have a body that's going to allow me to do X, Y, and Z, and not saying, oh, my body looks amazing, my body is beautiful, and you're also not saying my body is ugly and my body needs to change, you're just being neutral. My body does great things for me, and I'm, and I'm blessed to have this body. Thank you so much for sharing those tips. I feel like they're really helpful for people who are struggling with all those problems. And then next, how do you create a safe place to accept yourself? It's really about 
creating an environment that is going to support you. So I kind of loosely just mentioned how, you know, I didn't look in the mirror and I made those changes when I first started to heal. There's more things I did. So that sophomore year of college, you know, I stopped looking in the full body mirror. I deleted and unfollowed many of the social media accounts that were making me feel bad about myself. I unfollowed all the bikini accounts. I stopped following all the Victoria's Secret models. You know, I needed to detox from that. Here's a good way to use the word detox. I need detox from negative social media. And um, I know it can feel scary to, to do those things, but you can always refollow the Victoria's Secret model. You can always refollow someone. It's just temporary. And if it's a friend that triggers you, you can mute your friend so that you, they don't have to be unfollowed, but you don't have to see what they're doing. Um, I also refrain from pictures with my friends. So, you know, a big thing that a lot of girls like to do is let's all get these pictures together. Let's go outside and take Instagrams. That was triggering for me because, you know, it made me prioritize my body. It made me think about how I was going to look in the picture. It made me compare myself to the friend next to me. So I was just like, I'm not going to be a part of these situations. And I did that in a sly way. Like, Oh my God, it's picture time. My mom's FaceTiming me. I'll be right back. Or, Oh my gosh, it's picture time. My eyelash is coming off. I got to go to the bathroom. Like whatever I could do to just, no, I'm not going to be in the pictures, but I don't want to make it. People know what I'm doing. And then another thing I did was, um, I started to be cautious of what I was saying and who I was surrounding myself with. So we can't always control what other people are going to say, right? You can't control if someone else talks about what they're eating or what they're not eating, but you can control what you do. So I was like, I'm not going to outwardly talk about what I'm eating. And that was hard for me because I used to be like, oh, yeah, I'm getting the salad and the dressing and blah, 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 or I'm getting a bagel and I, oh, whatever the commentary was. And I just said, no, I'm no longer going to make vocal comments about my food choices. So that's an example of five things I did to start to create that environment, right? Like you asked about so that I could feel supported in these decisions. And, you know, that is really important. You guys, you know, you can't, it's harder to get better in an environment that is pushing you the opposite way of where you need to be. You're an amazing influencer on your Instagram as you portray yourself in an unfiltered light. Do you have any other recommendations of additional Instagram accounts that our listeners can check out to learn more about body positivity, neutrality, and intuitive eating? Yes, I do. And I actually have a list right here <laughs> because I recently shared it with someone. Okay, people, get ready. Get the Instagrams out. I'm about to read like 20 names. Okay. All of these have the at sign before them. Okay. So I weigh, I W E I G H. It's an amazing account. I think that's just a need to follow if you're trying to improve your life. Um, Simone Mariposa, the Virago project, Lucy mountain, Jamila Jamila official, Jesse Jean, the holistic psychologist, Chessie King, Mick Zazone, Alex light, LDN, Danae Mercer, Tiffany Ema, The Bird's Papaya, and Scarred Not Scared. Those are all fabulous accounts that you guys can follow. Most of them are spelled the way that I read them. All right. Thank you so much for sharing your You're journey. You're like, we were not <laughs> expecting that. <laughs> and make sure you guys follow Victoria Garrick. She's so amazing. She's so honest with everything as a social media influencer. She's a great body image advocate. And thank you so much for being on this episode. You are truly an amazing role model to all the young girls listening. Oh, thank you. It was so great to be here. I love Sage Hill. I love the Gem Fest. And yes, you guys can also check out my podcast. I have a podcast called Real Pod. So if you enjoyed listening to this, I have some really fun and cool guests on that show. So definitely check it out. Thank you.
Let's go.